Welcome to issue 7 of the Attention Span newsletter by me, Janan Marashligil. I'm a writer, a literary translator, an artist, and a curator of cultural programs based in Amsterdam. Every other week, I take the time to reflect and offer a glimpse of how I see the world through the lens of culture, art, translation, poetry, and literature. Each issue has a short essay, a nerdy look at translation, a page from one of my notebooks, and a list of things to read, watch, or listen to. For those of you who prefer the audio experience, I am very happy to be recording this podcast. I'm also inviting you to support my work, if you can, uh, via Patreon, and I will, of course, link to it in the show notes. Thank you for your presence and attention. The essay on archives. I keep everything. When I was writing my essay on Art Carson for Extra Extra magazine last year, I went back into my own archives. My writing and notes on Carson, which I kept since I started studying her work, and of course books. One of those is From Cohen to Carson, the poet's novel in Canada by Ian Ray. My professor of Canadian poetry back in 2002 at McGill University, the person who introduced me to Anne Carson's work. When I opened Ray's book Seeking Guidance, a postcard of a photograph by Dutch-Turkish artist Aysel Bodur appeared in between the pages. From the series Family Ties I saw in Art Brussels in 2004, it's an autoportrait of the artist with her family members, her mother, her uncle and his children, nude in a hammam in Ankara. In the context in which Bodur's family lives, that's Turkey, nudity itself can be an act of crossing border, photographing nudity another one, exhibiting it yet another. Maybe keeping that postcard, which I have recently framed and putting it atop a shelf visible to all in my living room, is another act of transgression. Of course, being nude in a hammam does not cross a boundary. The hammam's function is to scrub the skin, cleanse the pores, for which the body needs to be naked in the overwhelming steam. It is a purification ritual where gender is binary. Women and men are allowed nakedness, but in separate spaces. By bringing the women and men of her family inside this space for purification, Bodur breaks all the boundaries imposed by the society she sets this family portrait in. Would I have forgotten about this photograph if I didn't keep the postcard the gallery owner had kindly offered me? Maybe my essay would have been different if I didn't. I keep everything. From notes scribbled on scrap paper, cinema or concert tickets, all the days when tickets were printed, to flowers I dry between book pages, Conversations with my therapist, photographs printed, saved on the cloud, lost and found in hidden folders, WhatsApp messages, some of the kind you wouldn't want your mother to see, downloaded screenshot, printed collage, recorded, kept. I created a large poster-sized collage of sentences told to me by uncaring lovers. When I cannot write or type, I dictate, I record sounds, I take photographs in analog and digital forms. 
I don't believe I am alone doing this. We all carry our life stories in the storage capacity of our phones, on the clouds we subscribe to, more giga, more terra, many bytes of life we keep. Some of us don't think much about it, though. Maybe you're one of them. I do. I keep everything. And I constantly think about it, obsessively holding on to every single record I create on purpose. I'm an archivist of my own life. And not only for myself, but also because I believe my narratives, constructed, imagined, inherited, rejected, embraced, deserve to be archived and therefore found and explored now and later. Browsing through my notes app on my newly set up computer, which I have bought, among others, for the purpose of building my digital archives, a grand scale project I've been thinking about for years now, I came across this note from 24th of March, 2021 at 7.22 in the evening. Called my grandmother in Istanbul. We talked books and how she enjoys reading the Turkish translation I got for her of Bernardine Evaristo. Girl, Woman, Other, translated by Ebru Kulic, and Stefan Zweig's Letter for an un- from an Unknown Woman, translated by Ahmed Jamal, while also rereading the Quran. I lost my grandmother in September 2022, and I'm still grieving her absence. Judging from my using Bernadine Evaristo's Twitter handle, instead of her full name, this note was obviously a tweet I kept mistrusting my Twitter archive, even if I did request and download an archive of my 21,600 tweets since March 2007, important ones deserve to be written down elsewhere as keepsake. Reading the note more than two years later, I'm reliving that conversation with my grandmother. I reach for my miniature Quran, which I had found in her library in Istanbul after her funeral. I keep it near me at all times. Is keeping an archive an act of love or a disillusioned gesture to find against mortality? What would our memory be without an archive? Is it the archive that is beautiful and filled with layers of emotions or the construction of it? Rereading that note, I realize that archives remind us that we are aching. They are the depth of who we are, and once we start digging into them, try to tame them to, through categories, filing, backups, storage, media libraries, lists and catalogs, they strike back. A reminder of what matters as you ask yourself, why did these moments exist in the first place? How and why are they remembered? Can memory be trusted without the existence of an archive? Your past is a tool, not a definition. Writer Maurice Carlos Ruffin recently shared in an issue of his newsletter, Sitting in Silence. I screenshotted the quote on the newsletter, then wrote the sentence down with one of my fountain pens. And I pinned the paper to a wall I look at every day. An archival gesture reflecting how I translated the statement into an emotion. So maybe archives are just that, a tool. They help me build and imagine my own narrative, 
in relation to my history, my heritage, to those who were actors in my story and who made me who I am today. On a photograph, in a video, on a note, in the memory of a flower I dried, they exist in my life and imagination, in my artistic practice and in my existence. They helped me build many definitions of who I am and want to be. On translation. Since we're on the archive subject, let me share more about the translation project I've been involved in since April 2023 called Archival Textures, focusing on publications, including reports, flyers, and posters, essays, from a variety of activist, feminist, and queer groups from the 1970s and 80s in the Netherlands. It's been a very different kind of approach than translating literary works whether fiction or non-fiction or poetry. In this case, the language, vocabulary, and terms used in the source language in that time period need to be translated with a similar vocabulary in the target language. I've been working from Dutch to English, and I have been learning a lot of new, now obsolete, vocabulary, but most importantly, seeing how intersectional and queer practices have been omnipresent within many of the activist groups for a long time. Only the vocabulary was different. This made my task challenging and therefore exciting. <laughs> For example, terms like, such as intersectionality or Pride Week. Some texts were mentioning homo wake in Dutch, homo in this context and language not being derogatory. I was tempted to translate as Pride Week, but at that time it wasn't called that. So I went for Gay Week, for instance. This kind of translation work comes with immense editorial work, including footnotes and introductions, numerous comments in the margins throughout the process. All this data is extremely valuable. Very nerdy also, so I had a lot of pleasure translating for this project. The results will be published in magazine format from September on. Now, let's get nerdy. And let me share one specific example. In a text about a gay man explaining why he is reclaiming the word faggot, he uses the word gevoelsgenote, which I personally came across for the first time. Doing research, I found out a definition. Gevoelsgenote, mede lesbienne veel gebruikt in de jaren 50. Vooral in de contractadvertenties van de COC-blad werd om een gevoelsgenote gevraagd. Okay, so it is a term dating back from the 50s used by gay people to refer to fellow gay people. And I also found other definitions which included both the word gay and lesbian. In my translation, I offered several options. And I am going to just read the comments I made to the editors. If fellow queers is too contemporary, maybe we use fellow gays? Other options I found via the Queen's English, the LGBTQI plus Dictionary of Lingua and Colloquial Expression by Chloe Davis, published in 2021 from page 127. Friends of Dorothy, dated expression used to identify another queer or gay person. Or we could also say fellow fruits. Fruit uh, used to refer to a gay man, but can be used to identify a lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and or other queer individual. I don't know which one fits best, to be honest. That's a decision to be made collectively with the editors. 
And this is one of the many reasons why I love translation so much. Also, translation is time travel. And now listening, watching, reading. So for listening, a conversation, what kind of language are we left with, held between Mirena Arsanios and Selina Su, recorded in February 2021 for the Invitation to Species podcast. The poets, both motherless mothers without mother tongues, discuss the lineages of their language, liminal subjectivities, and the impossibility of we in light of differentially distributed access to resources. Together, they consider how our social relations are being rewritten and disrupted in a time of ongoing crisis and disaster. I will, of course, link to the podcast in the show notes. Now, something to read. I'm going to suggest poetry again. And since I mentioned a podcast she was on, let me recommend Selina Su's poetry, her poetry collection Landia, published in 2018. You can read one of Su's poetry also on the Poetry Foundation website. I will also link to it in the show notes. Last and not least, something to watch. I was very sad to hear about Jane Birkin's death two weeks ago, age 76. And then we also lost Shohada Sadakat, uh, a.k.a. Sinead O'Connor, age 56, which was another shock. When a famous person dies, commemorative documentaries, articles and all sorts of content come out. So Arte TV is broadcasting a documentary about Birkin from 2019 by Clelia Cohen. It's poignant to watch now after we know she's gone. So if you're interested in knowing who Jane Birkin was, I would recommend you can check this out. I will also link to it in the show notes. And finally, like every issue, I'm sharing a page from one of my notebooks. A picture I took of my notebook in front of my newly painted uh, living room wall, which I had painted myself. And the remaining paint I have put inside the sketchbook. And I call this picture archiving the color of the wall I painted into my sketchbook. So I wanted to share also this other way of archiving something like the wall of your house you paint in a certain color. So that's it for this issue. I am very thankful for your presence and for your attention. Again, if you want to support my work, you can go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash span. I am, of course, going to link to all the resources in the show notes. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again in two weeks.